right. Well, welcome to the live recording for Let's uh, Talk Faith and Justice with CFUV. Uh, many thanks to all of you who have gathered in person and those of you gathering online. And this will air as a podcast and on the radio in a bit. My name's Lyndon, pronounce he, him, uh, one of the hosts of the show. Oh, my name's Boston, uh, pronounce he, him, the other host. And uh, today we're going to talk with some of our friends from Inclusive Christians and to talk about the strengths and, and also some of the challenges of creating inclusive Christian spaces that are overtly queer affirming, uh, both on campus and in the community. And we're just very heartened to have folks with us um, who are uh, our panel here, Ruby, Reba, and Sage. So we'd like you to each maybe just say, uh, to introduce yourselves and just say a few words about yourself. Okay. Um, I'm Sage, uh, pronouns he, him. I'm a trans uh, guy and I am part of the Inclusive Christians group and I also work as a parish administrator. So that's kind of my connection to the church. I'm Anglican, sort of, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Uh, hi, my name is Reba. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I am a theological student at Vancouver School of Theology, uh, and I'm also a postulant for ordination in the Anglican Church of Canada, uh, which basically just means that I'm training to be a priest and the bureaucracy of the Anglican Church has said, yes, we're cool with that. Um, <laughs> and uh, last year I did a fieldwork placement at UVic where I worked closely with inclusive Christians. So that's how I'm connected to Linden and Boston and all of this. Hi, my name's Ruby. Um, I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. Um, I don't like labeling my identity too much, so I'll just say that I'm queer and I'm trans and kind of leave it at that. Um, I've been involved with the Inclusive Christians Club for for quite a while, and that's where I met Lyndon in Boston and, and these other people on the panel. Um, I am involved with uh, music in the Inclusive Christians Club. Um, and I'm also an ex-Catholic, and I'll probably touch on that a bit later. Great. And we're just so thankful to be included as part of the five days of action with EQHR. Thank you, Mandy, for support and others in the office. Thanks, Troy and CFUV for supporting with sound and recording. Um, well, let's get started. Um, we, we know each other from campus spaces with inclusive Christians and maybe just invite some of you to talk about, maybe we could start with some strengths to just get the ball rolling. What are some things that we do well or what are the kind of conditions that support that? And then we could maybe get into when those conditions are missing. With inclusive Christians specifically? Well, it might be we're on campus right now at uh, the University of Victoria, so it might be a suitable uh, place to start mm -hmm. for people who aren't maybe familiar with with what happens at multi-faith center here on campus. Yeah, I think um, the strength of uh, inclusive Christians and what really makes it work is that it's sort of it's sprung up as a group specifically 
uh, to be queer inclusive. And so it's kind of like structurally, uh, you know, built around that. And I think that there, you know, it was made to appeal to um, queer people and, you know, every everybody, but like also students and young people. And I think that has really served it well, um, as opposed to, you know, a lot of other churches, which are structurally built uh, around different things and then kind of trying to be more inclusive. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think um, sometimes stuff like queer inclusion, it gets uh, put under this bigger banner of, oh, like we want to be inclusive and we want to welcome everybody. And that's great and wonderful. I'm not saying that that's bad, uh, but sometimes I think that the like the specific interests of certain marginalized groups don't get a, don't get accounted for. And yeah, sometimes there's a difference between saying, oh, we welcome everybody and uh, living that out in community life. And I think that as Sage was saying, the explicit structuring of inclusive Christians around um, the needs and desires of queer Christians or queer people who are exploring Christianity. Uh, yeah, I think that's a major strength. Yeah. Um, could I just talk a bit about my first time going to the, the service? Um, Ruth was leading the service. She is a um, Anglican pastor. And uh, we did a little confession as as part of our first service. And as somebody growing up in the Catholic Church, I honestly have a bit of trauma around confession. And so I tensed up a lot, um, you know, my first time coming to the service. Um, and as Ruth was leading the confession, she handed us all a piece of paper and a pen and got us to write down uh, something that we want to ask for forgiveness for. And she specified that it's not what your friends think is a sin and not what your pastor thinks is a sin and not what your parents think is a sin, but what you deep down want to ask for forgiveness for. And being given that agency was so important to me. And that's something that I lacked a lot in uh, my Christian experiences prior. And that's something that I find so incredibly powerful about um, our inclusive Christian service, that we're just given that agency to kind of come to our own conclusions. And when I think about what inclusivity means, um, it really always comes back to that, giving people that agency. And that's why I've been coming back ever since. Can I, sorry, can I add something? I just remembered a, a story. Um, the, the, the moment that, one of the moments that stands out the most from when I was uh, here last year with Inclusive Christians is after a service that I led, like a student came up to me and they said, um, you know, I just wanted to tell you that uh, I haven't, this is, it was one of their first times at uh, around the table, which is what the weekly service is called. And they said to me, I have, this is the first time that I remember feeling safe in a, a Christian worship space. Uh, and that 
touched me so deeply and uh it's stuck with me ever since and i think that um yeah i think that space where people can feel that they can be themselves and have agency and be safe and be loved for who they are is um yeah a gift and it was an an honor to be part of it Well, it's good to uh, to talk about some of the things that are are helpful and and structurally there. But I also know as uh, I serve as a co-pastor at Lutheran Church of the Cross, which isn't far from you, Vic. Um, and I know it's more of a struggle in congregational settings that, as some of you said, inclusive Christians was created from the ground up to be queer inclusive, mm-hmm. and that is not the case for very many congregations. Um, and so it's a lot, a lot more of a, a struggle where you see phrases like all are welcome or kind of passive forms of welcome that um, don't always feel very welcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if we get beyond that, and some of us have overt statements of queer inclusion on our websites or in social media or hopefully also in, in worship life or in even in leadership. But I feel like in, in mainline churches, we're still struggling quite a bit with that. And I know some of you have experience uh, around that. I don't know what your thoughts might be. Hmm. I have experience around that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as you said, like, I think that what I've seen as kind of the model for inclusion is you um, make the space that you're in like as you know perfect as you can like perfectly inclusive as you can and just wait for people to come and of course you know people don't come because uh, like why would they Um, I think I think that there's a real um, reluctance to kind of like go out of the space and kind of go into other communities like why do you expect the queer community to come to you if you're not going to the queer community you know there's no um like you you don't want to put yourself into that space well why would we want to put ourselves into your space then especially if that space is you know full of people who aren't like us already and also is structured around the needs of those people who are already there um I can't remember where I was going with this, but that's kind of how I've seen it happen. And I think that, you know, for churches to transition from that model, they, you know, people need to start going out into the community and, you know, try to make connections. Like, you know, people come, maybe people become too inclusive Christians as well. Um, That kind of thing. Yeah. Anyways, that's my, that's my thoughts. Yeah, I, I th- and I think there's a certain amount of um, a certain amount of risk involved in really being like truly radically inclusive uh, that a lot of mainline churches aren't willing or equipped to take that kind of risk. Uh, and uh, in the Anglican Church, it's kind of a whole thing in the wider Anglican community about Anglican communion about queer inclusion and and stuff uh, that I do not feel like getting into. Uh, But um, there's a certain amount of, yeah, like 
needing to be brave and take the risk of making a really strong statement and being really and truly open at all levels to people. And uh, I think part of it's fear. I think part of it's, um, I mean, I think a lot of it is fear. Uh, yeah, and a fear of risk-taking and change. And um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they don't want to definitely they don't want to change the structure yeah, of sure. of the church. Um, you know, it's kind of a you know come come to this structure, assimilate into this. It's yeah. like an assimilation thing, you know. Um we're not going to change for you. Um and oh, and the other thing I want to say also is just there is like also a, a emphasis on this kind of correct belief correct values kind of thing rather than action you know there's there's a uh, reluctance to take action rather than uh you know you can have all your values up on your wall but that doesn't matter if you're not going into the community yeah yeah you can print whatever you want in your in your bulletin about being inclusive and welcoming but if it's not reflected in um how you're treating a how you're treating the people who are there and be not showing up in how you're appearing in the wider community as well it's sort of mm -hmm. falls falls flat falls short mm -hmm. um for me what welcoming looks like is conversation um and i feel like a lot of times in in different like church services uh you kind of go you recite the prayers you might sing but really the only time that you talk to the person next to you is saying like peace be with you <laughs> and that's really it and it feels so like empty almost to go to a church service like that and see all these people and you're like sharing in this service but you're not sharing with each other and um you know in the inclusion in in the inclusive christian service i i really like that we're given the chance to discuss um bible readings with other people um we've given opportunities for students to give reflections reba correct me if i'm wrong but you even did some poetry reflections if i remember yeah, that's right. um and being able to, for, for somebody in the queer community, um, I feel like a lot of the rejection I face just comes from people not having talked to other queer people. Um, and so just whenever I go into these spaces as a queer person, as a trans person, I like making that known. And this is not an expectation that I put on all queer people or all trans people, not at all. But I feel comfortable doing that because sometimes I am the first queer or trans person that people have ever talked to. And if they can start that conversation, then 
they'll feel more comfortable talking to other queer people, talking to other trans people. Not to say that we're a monolith, not to say that we all think the same, but that it won't be as otherized. So what welcoming to me looks like is giving everybody a chance to talk, everybody a chance to share, to say more to uh, the person beside you than just peace be with you. I also think it's it's good to note that like in inclusive Christians, we sit in a circle and we're all looking at each other instead of like pews where you're all looking at the front. Um, and that, and also there's nobody at the top really because it's a circle. So yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. That's some good feedback for someone who often is charged with preaching on Sunday. <laughs> Maybe I can open it up a little bit. So at least our church space is flexible. There, some it's not quite in the round. Sometimes we are, but you're right. Being able to see one another and that, and there is that whole spectrum of some people really want that kind of. It's funny. Some people get angry. I know if I, if I probably will try a discussion, like a reflection and discussion. And some people will, they just want like uh, a certain kind of experience that they feel the singing or the music or the prayer is their participation. But I think it's good to experiment and, and to try a bit of that. One thing that's really fascinating is that for all the talk of like, oh, nobody wants to come to church, the surprisingly surprising number of queer people are looking for a church home, and yet we're so ill-equipped to make space. So that's that's what's often funny is sometimes we're chasing after folks who, like, they're just too busy with other things in in their lives, right? And yet there's other people really hungry for a spiritual life, and we're ignoring that sometimes. Other than in that passive way, like, oh, you can come check out what we're doing, as opposed to let's do this creative thing together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, what you're saying about people being too busy, I feel like, you know, maybe Sundays at 10, it's like the only <laughs> time there's church, um, except for inclusive Christians, which is on Wednesday nights. Um, but yeah, I think being more flexible about you know, that would be maybe a way to, <laughs> to do that. But um, yeah, and you were saying about, like, there's more, there's a lot of queer people who, who want to come, but, but it doesn't feel like welcoming to them. Yeah. Do you think that there's more, this is kind of a question for everybody, do you think there's like a disproportionate amount of queer young Christians? Because it seems like a lot of the young Christians I know are queer. I don't know if that's just like represent you know, bias because I know them, but yeah. You're like <laughs> nodding. <laughs> I'm nodding in what's going to be an audio <laughs> thing at the end. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, again, yeah, it could be like a confirmation bias yeah. thing, but I feel like I do know a lot of young queer people who are, um, exploring faith and it, mm -hmm. it may not be um within a church it may not be within christianity um but i think 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's there's lots of there's them. something afoot. There's something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, sorry, I, I don't have anything else to say right okay. now. Maybe in a minute. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious. I was like, why is there so many gay Christians? There's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I I actually I in just in the summer I did a, a sort of similar intern thing at. Uh, at a cathedral in downtown Victoria. And um, I mean, it, it was a lot of older white people, but also uh, specifically at the Evensong service, which is in the evening. Mm -hmm. And it's like a very traditional sort of song service there. That's where I would see a lot of uh, like younger, younger people who pinged my gaydar, but like, not, <laughs> I didn't get the chance to talk to all They're of them, gay. but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there's a I think there's a, a yearning I think there's a a desire and a hunger there in a lot mm -hmm. of in a lot of people um and the mainline churches especially are just slow to figure out how to how to meet the need unfortunately mm. mm -hmm. yeah I think we just need more things like inclusive Christians yeah that's what that's like my my thesis just more inclusive christians because you know there's one there's one inclusive christians which is great but it, what if we had like three of them that'd be amazing <laughs> yeah right a greater greater victoria inclusive christians yeah. i remember sage you once mentioned at another gathering that we need more opportunities for community celebration mm. mm -hmm. so whether maybe people are transitioning or there's some other big life change that we want to lift lift that up it really mm. struck me. Mm. There's yeah. other things we celebrate. I think it was specifically, I was thinking about, like, we do confession um, and, you know, acknowledging, we acknowledge a lot of pain and stuff in the prayers, you know, like, this is all the terrible things that are happening in the world. It's, it's obviously a very important part of um, the service. And, um, but yeah, we, we, we don't often take it. We don't have, like, specific celebration rituals necessarily that i can think of other than like baptism sort of but yeah yes um i'm so i'm gonna say that i think communion is inherently celebratory mm. um but yes you're right and it's funny you should mention that because in the most recent general synod of the anglican church of canada they approved a bunch of liturgies for or the existence of liturgies to celebrate and affirm uh like gender transition and changing names and stuff and they haven't been universally adopted but uh my bishop here in this diocese uh, sort of immediately was like yep uh, we're gonna start doing these immediately mm -hmm. <laughs> um so i think yeah that 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 space of explicitly celebrating big big moments like mm -hmm. that um uh, yeah i think that's a a space that we can afford to do more in. Um, and I also do think like more explicit uh, gatherings that are about that are about lament and grief, mm. uh, not because I don't know why I started that sentence with not because but <laughs> because there are you know, we have mm. confessions and we have p prayers of like intercessory prayers. Um, but I think, in addition to these explicit spaces of celebration, there's a lack of places where we can really 
openly grieve the the hurts the the church hurt the religious trauma and have that enfolded in within our spirituality and within our relationship with god and with each other as as queer christians um but yeah i don't want to derail the celebration <laughs> conversation so we can go back to that <laughs> we, you go ahead um i think celebration is such an important thing to share with each other and i love that i have heard so many people open up about things that they're celebrating in their own life at the at the service every week um people have said that um they got baptized um you know people have said that like they got a job but what, what really connects with me personally is is when there are other queer people saying oh i came out Mm. Oh, I started hormones. I'm getting surgery. Like all these things are just so incredible to hear. And um, I, I think what's really important is that everybody should come and bring their own gifts uh, to the service. Um, again, Reva, I know you did poetry before, and that was incredible. Um, but but something that my mind goes to is. Um, I, I forget exactly when it was. It was a while ago, but um, Jordan Peterson came to town and uh, as kind of a response to that, um, my good friend Prim uh, organized this event where we just met in front of the space where he was giving a speech. And it was very unstructured. Um, but they just wanted us to celebrate queerness mm -hmm. and celebrate trans people. And I went and I showed up and I wore my, my pride flag as a cape. And um, I brought a whole bunch of instruments and a whole bunch of my friends brought instruments too. And we just started playing music. And we didn't want to get angry with the people going to the event um because that's very like mentally taxing um and, and sage when you talked about like confession too mm -hmm. that can be very mentally taxing for people to to kind of think about that um but at this event we all just kind of brought our own gifts there were people who shared poetry they handed out chalk to a whole bunch of different people and they drew on the ground um and i still have some incredible pictures that i look at on my phone every day that i put on my background that say like you know how important it is to have uh, queer joy and to celebrate that. So I think um, just having everybody bring whatever gifts they have to share and to celebrate those gifts is very important. Oh, I just wanted to say, yeah, you were talking about like the check-in that we do. Yeah. at uh, at inclusive Christians and people will be like oh I just started hormones and I remember one time like like three people had started hormones or something <laughs> and every time it was just like yeah 
everyone yeah. was clapping yahoo i think i was one of them yeah yeah and <laughs> and i was like nowhere else do i know can you just like say these kind of things that are happening in your life and then everyone will clap for you you know that's just that's pretty cool i love that yeah yeah i definitely don't know of many other uh, christian spaces where they would mm -hmm. celebrate those things as much as we do yeah mm -hmm. yeah any thoughts on uh, thinking about wider solidarity with like a queer multi-faith folks it's something that i don't know if we've fully explored or not thinking about uh, Muslim students and, and Sikh folks and Jewish students uh, on campus, if that's something that would would be of interest or would could raise all the boats, maybe not a worship setting uh, to start with, but just in terms of building fellowship. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I don't go to UVic, but <laughs> I think that that kind of thing is really important. Um, when I did my undergrad, uh, I had a few friends who, um, a few queer friends, we all came from different religious traditions or lack thereof, but um, looking back on it, I've reflected that like in a lot of ways I have more in common with uh, queer people of other faiths than I do with straight, cis, cis straight Christians. Um, and I think those points of contact uh, can be really uh, powerful, really healing, and uh, a really important part of dialogue between between faith traditions and like just between people building community. Um, I just don't know a lot about other religions in general. Um, and I know that there have been some opportunities at UVEC to, to reach out, but I've always been just busy with classes during those times. Like I know uh, they put on a Abraham's table, I think it was called. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was what a discussion between Christians, Jews and Muslims, I believe. Right. I think. <laughs> Leslie organized um, it just giving a nod from the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, see, I would have loved to go to things like that. So um, any opportunity to just like learn more about other religions. Like I, I even don't know a lot about different Christian denominations even and other than what I was raised with and, and uh, from like the different denominations that are present at, at uh, Inclusive Christians. Um, so any opportunity to learn and reach out to other people, I think is really cool. And I mean, as long as I'm free, I would love to go to things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember someone making a comment uh, saying, oh, but, uh, you know, so many Muslim communities are, are anti-queer. And then it was thrown back like, well, check out the Christian communities <laughs> before we start making those comments. Um, so, but there, I know there are folks at UVic and yeah, just think about another way to, uh, to make some connections could be interesting. But Ruby, I, I was at the, uh, the Jordan Peterson rally and I, normally for the things like that, I'm used to getting the mental game on that. This is going to be intense. Uh, 
And, and then it was the opposite. It was a bunch of sidewalk chalk and like hundreds of students from UVic and beyond. And it was just a big party oh, yeah. in front of uh, the big hockey arena where it was happening. And then as people, I think they wanted not to overlap, uh, but then there were people who had VIP tickets who got to go for the, the wine and cheese with JP beforehand. So they were there extra early and they were all in weird suits yeah. and bad sunglasses. Like it was just so, the vibe was so weird. Like yeah. you didn't even have to guess who, who was showing up. Uh, so yeah, it was kind of interesting, but people kind of kept their distance and, yeah. and, uh, yeah, I'd never seen a real party like that. It was not as adversarial as I was expecting. Yeah, no party like a queer party. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what about thoughts around uh, queer leadership in, in church? Because often that's something I hear in leadership circles is we need representation in order for some of these changes to come about not like i'm looking but, uh, but uh reba who's uh do you say a postulant a postulant yes yeah. that is the word ah, it's a real anglican yeah. term um and so preparing for ordained ministry um and just thinking about how how that can make a difference and i shouldn't so Boston is in seminary right now. Yeah. Too. I'm not. I'm not queer though. <laughs> your, yeah, Metis and yeah. Uh, bring another representation. That's the next live episode. That's the next live yeah. for Metis Indigenous Lutheran pastors. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Some some thoughts on the importance of representation and leadership. This one's for you, Reba. Um, yes. It's important. <laughs> no, I, um, no, yeah, it, it's important. And I, not only because of um, representation in terms of like adult queer people who are looking, yearning for a church community, but um, for like queer kids in, in parishes who are, to see someone who's like them uh, up at the altar doing stuff. Um, the moment in my life where I went, oh, I could, maybe I can be a priest. Maybe I can go do that is the first time that I saw women being priests that uh, changed my whole, <laughs> my whole worldview and my whole life. And if I hadn't had those women in my life at that time, I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing right now and yeah i mean i think it it opens conversation it creates representation it creates yeah I, it's really important and i uh yeah <laughs> i'm also i think that like okay so uh reba when they were the what is it like the person at inclusive christians like the intern the intern at inclusive <laughs> christians i don't know <laughs> They did some of the wildest like liturgy stuff that I've ever seen, like blackout poetry with scripture, which, you know, I consider myself to be 
you know, just the most open-minded person. I was like, whoa, are we allowed to do this? This is, whoa, you know? (laughs) So I feel like it's more than that. Like, I feel that queer leadership is going to actually change the structure of the church as well. I think that that's kind of, I mean, just from the stuff that you've already been doing, you've already been doing that. And yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I didn't have you defacing actual Bibles. I printed it off because I thought that if I pulled out actual Bibles, that might be, (laughs) people might not like that. But yeah, I, it's, I I guess there's a piece too around um, carving out, not just representation, but carving out like theological, liturgical space where there's room to sort of, you know, queer liturgy and queer, theology and also queer theology rules so yeah. go go find some if you if you haven't experienced it but yeah i think that um some, something something happens something changes when you incorporate more more voices into the mix and more kinds of people in leadership and it makes it makes transformation possible i i will say i mean from indigenous perspective um you know the lutheran church has not very much <laughs> indigenous representation and leadership. Um, and I mean, I know I kind of had one of those uh, awakening moments as well, where, um, you know, Lutheran Church of the Cross every year does Orange Shirt Sunday, where we have Carrie Clausen, an indigenous leader in the BC Synod, come in and lead worship. And just like the incorporation of you know, like the medicine wheel and smudging and all these different sorts of like, you know, indigenous traditions. I remember the first time, I mean, I'm comfortable at Lutheran Church of the Cross, of course, now I've been there for a while, but I remember the first time we ever did, I was ever there for an in-person Orange Shirt Sunday. I was like, it felt like I could take like a deep breath. I was like, wow, like this is amazing. Like this is unlike anything, you know, I've ever experienced. So I, I definitely agree that yeah, representation is so important. Mm. Um, I think that um, <clears throat> something that I didn't really like about um, the uh, Catholic Church and Catholic Mass growing up is just how much repetition there was all the time. You always say the the same prayers all the time and there are some times that I like that but you know doing it for years on end growing up like it's it gets so repetitive so robotic and it makes the service feel like such a passive thing and not an active thing at all um I would say the um what is it the apostles creed I reckon. And it it felt like I wasn't like declaring my faith at all. It just felt like words that I was just kind of vomiting out of my mouth. Um, Something that I really like about our service is that you bring in all these different prayers and all these different readings. Mm -hmm. And um, there are some times when like, you know, we, we rotate what pastors lead the service, but, you know, it'll be the same pastor and they never do the same uh, prayers that we all read together. Um, I love hearing prayers written by 
queer people. Um, that's always incredibly important to me because I know that it can be hard to, in, in such like an established church to get queer people to like help lead the service. But there's so much stuff out there that queer Christians have written. Um, and if you have something different to read every week, it makes you a lot more active instead of just kind of vomiting out the words week after week, month after month, year after year, it's actually reading the words. Um, Lyndon, if, if you'll let me share this, I, I went to your, to your church one time and I forget exactly when this was. Um, but you picked out a specific declaration of faith that really stood out to me. Um, and I just want to read this one uh, passage from it. We believe in creator whose word teaches us that all things grow together in the circle of life, that the paths of life and death, good and evil, too often come together, that choices are not clearly defined, but that we confidently and responsibly tread the path we choose, and only the true one can be our judge. And that made me cry. I'm almost like tearing up a little right now just reading that. It seems so radical to me, especially just being raised in an environment where I would repeat the same thing over and over. Like I was really paying attention to this as we read it at um, your service and talking about how life and death and good and evil too often come together was such a radical idea for me. And it really got me thinking. Um, having all these um, different things to reflect on, I know sometimes in inclusive Christians, we don't reflect only on the, the Bible passages, but they read poetry, they read prayers, and then they get us to reflect on that. If you get more writings from queer Christians to get people to discuss, to get people to talk about, for even um, for even like straight cis people to find some similarities between their own personal experiences and the experiences of queer people in some way, that I think can just help create this community and this understanding with the queer community. Um, so I don't necessarily think like, oh, you need to hire a queer person to run your church, but there's so much stuff already out there, so much queer art and, and, and poems and prayers. And I think incorporating that into your service could be very beneficial. Mm. Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to say we're kind of we're reaching the end of our, our time here. Um, so I maybe want to give the three of you opportunity if you have like a couple minutes closing thoughts, anything that you want. Or, okay, okay, okay. 
Um, no, just like I think because we have uh, only 10 minutes left, really, that we have like the hour slot booked out. So, um, so no I think just I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't I know. Like, what do you guys think? I, think I, don't know. Questions. <laughs> <laughs> I like questions. Yeah, we, we got to six. Yeah, I just thought about like our let's do it. Okay, let's, uh, let's try. It's all good. I want questions. <laughs> Maybe a couple questions have time for, I think. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if anyone. I could uh, use my mic questions. here just so that things get captured for folks. And we have interpreter as well, who's interpreting your question. Questions. I'm curious, like what you would, uh, what, what if you could like say one thing to like a person who just for whatever reason, just, uh, uh, believes that um, queer identity and, and, and just like queer existence is like incompatible with like the church's like, or specifically Christianity's like core teachings and whether they believe that because of like trauma or they just, you know, think that way or whatever, like what's something that you would say to someone to kind of uh, frame their thinking a different way? I would say that everything is full of contradictions all the time like everything is contradictory the bible is contradictory the church teachings you know church fathers teachings of the church fathers are contradictory um we're always living in contradiction in our lives and i feel i do feel that there is contradiction in living as a christian as a queer christian like there is just an inherent contradiction and you just you become you become at peace with that at least that's how i feel Yeah, I, I might say something similar. I that I think that Christianity, our scripture, our theology, our doctrine, I think it is rife with contradiction and specifically rife with paradox. Mm -hmm. And that part of Christian identity is learning to lean into that paradox, to appreciate that paradox. Um, but I think if there's one thing where there is consistency in the example of Jesus and in the writings of a lot of our major theologians, it's this centrality of, it's on, it might sound cliche, honestly, but this centrality of, of love and a love that breaks down all barriers. God loved the world so much that they became a human being, broke down the barrier between human and divine life and death. So there's no lover, no greater love than that. And that's what's really central for me. Um, there's also a poem I would read to them, but I'll maybe do that later <laughs> at the end. <laughs> um, I mean, I could talk about this for another hour, but um, Truly. <laughs> I, I used to be that person. I really did. And I was going through a massive, like I, I was a really strong atheist when I, first came to inclusive Christians for the first time. And I went as a bit of a challenge because my friend was openly lesbian and openly Christian. And I thought, there's no way that this can be compatible, but I just went. And I can admit that I, I didn't really go in good faith, uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, went as a challenge. I was like, 
how could this be possible? How could these people be accepted? And I met so many other queer Christians and um, I'll be the first to admit that there are tons of Christian spaces that aren't accepting to queer people, but I found one of them and it, ever since then I've found so many others and they're out there um, and there are people willing to help you find those places. Another question? Like, yeah, I apologize for the mic handling. Uh, maybe, yeah, you just sure you could say it on repeat. Okay. Um, first, I just want to say I'm because the camera is on the microphone, but I'm very honored to know each of you and the way that you have taught me about God is profound. Um, why do you stay Christian? Because you have every reason not to. So the question is, why why stay Christian? Because you have every reason not to. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. It's just I just do. Um, I just I just like it. That's it. Yeah. There's no there's no there's no reason. Yeah. And I think you're so valid for that. I, <laughs> um. And I, I mean, I, I said that just now as a joke, but I do, I think that queer Christians and queer religious people get, we do a lot of labor justifying why we do that. And I don't think we should have to. Uh, but for me, the answer is uh, just, it's, uh, it's my home. It's always been a, my home. I was baptized as a baby and I was, I grew up in a, I was, I'm incredibly lucky to have grown up in Christian spaces that were by and large loving and accepting. Um, but yeah, it's, it's home and there's a, there's a deep love and hospitality and sense of meaning that I, that I get from this part of my identity. And uh, it's, important to me and so I stick around and I do what I can. And relics. Oh yeah and relics are so cool. I... <laughs> and Jesus is pretty cool as well. Yeah. Seem, seemed anyone, like a good guy. <laughs> and he was not aware relics are body parts of dead oh, saints. Yeah 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 stuff like pieces of the cross, Jesus's blood, some that are not PG-13, so I won't say them. <laughs> but yeah, body parts of saints that because uh, because they were attached to a holy person, they are, I'm oversimplifying, but they were attached to a holy person. So there's something holy about them after the person has died. Uh, they're not super, they're not as popular now as they were in the Middle Ages. <laughs> they're a really big deal in the Middle Ages. And I just have a lot of affection for them. I think they speak to the the materiality of Christian faith. It's, it's kind of about, about bodies at the end of the day. And I think that's really neat. Good counter to the Reformation Sunday we just celebrated. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> Reformation but Day was like two days ago. <laughs> 2023, we're talking about incarnation and other things, bodies in different ways. 
oh yeah i'd say incarnation is another reason why i stay christian i um like i said the 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 prospect of a god that is so big and so the everything creator of the universe becoming a human to be close to humanity and to have human experiences as an expression of their love for creation uh, is it just hits different there's <laughs> nothing like it <laughs> for me on the question of why am i still a christian again i can talk this <laughs> i can talk about this for an hour um my my simplest answer is there's an undescribable feeling that I got that I've gotten in nature that I've gotten from uh, watching movies from music a lot as I'm a musician and I experienced that a lot in uh, like Christian services I experienced that a lot from reading the Bible, specifically the Gospels. Um, I experienced that just reading that like Declaration of Faith, Lyndon, that you that you had it at your church. Um, it took me a long time to realize that that was just how I felt God. And in some ways, it's like a mental feeling. In some ways, it's a visceral feeling. But um, I just want to chase that feeling because it's done so much for me we'll talk we'll talk <laughs> <laughs> i have more to say but in the interest of time uh, another question do we, do we have time for one more or we could do uh boston you wanted to give folks a chance to yeah, just maybe it's just something. I don't know it, like you know the question anything else <laughs> anything that we didn't bring up that you wanted to or any final thoughts in lieu of final thoughts I'd like to read a poem yeah, absolutely that is great okay uh this is one of my favorite poems about Jesus and queerness uh it's by Jay Hume and it's called Jesus at the gay bar he's here in the midst of it Right at the center of the dance floor, robes hitched up to his knees to make it easier to spin. At some point in the evening, a boy will touch the hem of his robe and beg to be healed, beg to be anything other than this. And he will reach his arms out, sweat damp and weary from dance. He'll cup this boy's face in his hand and say, my beautiful child. There is nothing in this heart of yours that ever needs to be healed. Amen. <laughs> thank you so much for that. that, that thank you. It's my favorite of all time. So. And just want to say thank you so, so much, all three of you, for coming and sharing so much of yourself, so much knowledge with everyone here in person and all those joining online. Um, thank you to everyone who joined in person and online. It was great. It's it's a little, I'm, thank you. I This is nerve wracking to do when it's just Lyndon and I like in a studio alone. <laughs> so with all these eyes, I'm like, I can't even, and you know, so I really appreciate you all, you all, you, you know, just beautiful thoughts. So thank you so much. Thanks.
Um, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you for having us. Of course. Um, and should we do our, our sort of our common thank yous? We, you, we usually have it. So yeah, thank you to CFUV. We actually could not do this without you, especially this live show. I don't know. We do not have this many mics and a nice fancy camera and everything. So we really appreciate it. Um, thank you to UVic Multifaith for bringing us all together. Um, thank you to the to Lutheran Church of the Cross for supporting this podcast and to the BC Synod. Um, did I miss? Uh, EQHR and yes. five days yes. of action. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I don't know. I'm not good at ending, so I don't know. I'll, I'll defer. You go ahead. You, you wrap well, it up. And follow us on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, everyone. Peace. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye to the podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs>